So I have a super simple message for you today, but as you all know, that doesn't mean it's short. <sighs> Boy, I'll tell you, I do, I do such battle in my mind all the time. I was just telling Kat before the service, this isn't helping any, but can I like cut this in half or something? Maybe I should cut it in half. No, I don't know, I can't do that. I have a simple message for you today. The message is one of the Apostle Paul's standard greetings, because Paul wrote letters, right? It's most of the New Testament, or Paul's letters. So he wrote these letters, and in 10 of his New Testament letters, he uses the exact same greeting. And it's really short, it's really simple. He, he, he uses it, listen, just listen to this list. Romans 1.7, 1 Corinthians 1, 1.3, 2 Corinthians 1.2, Galatians 1.3, Ephesians 1.2, Philippians 1.2. A lot of 1.2s, right? Colossians 1 2, 1 Thessalonians 1 1, 2 Thessalonians 1 2, and Philemon 1 3. Ten times. Ten times he uses it in his, in his letters. It's usually translated, grace and peace to you. You've probably heard that before. If you're a good Lutheran, you've certainly heard that before. <laughs> oh, we know where the Lutherans are sitting now. <laughs> As if we didn't already. <laughs> Grace and, and peace to you, though, does not capture the, if you will, profundity, it's my favorite word today, of what, <laughs> of what the Apostle Paul is saying. Grace and peace to you, that sounds really nice, but putting it this way makes it sound like Paul is just talking about two entirely separate things connected only by the notion that he wants both of them for you, that he wants you to have grace and that he wants you to have peace. But Paul has something much more profound in mind with this little greeting. The word order in the original language tips us off to that there is something more going on here. And again, giving credit where credit is due, um, Gordon Fee, one of my old professors, is the one that opened, opened me up to this. Um, he's like, you know, when you're looking at Greek word order, sometimes there's really something going on, sometimes there's not, so pay close attention though, but he's like, with this greeting, there's really something going on. The word order is not grace and peace to you, but rather, charis hymen kai erene, grace to you and peace, grace to you and peace. Maybe that, like, I don't know, does that... You captured the difference? We're going to talk about it. Don't worry, you will if you didn't. It's no accident that that's the word order. You see, Paul puts it this way because grace and peace in the Christian life, or really in life all around, are not two separate things. But rather they are they're interconnected. There's a close, close relationship between grace and peace. Namely, that one brings about the other. Grace brings about Peace. This observation reveals a number of things, but a couple of them I want to talk about tonight is that tr true peace is found through receiving grace. True peace. We try to find it all over the place. Oh, by the latest this, the newest that. But true grace, true peace comes from the grace that we receive from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Since that's true, without receiving and embracing grace, you'll spend a lifetime trying to discover peace 
until you truly receive the grace of God, you'll be left forever searching. And I know that there's people sitting out there right now that are like, yeah, I know what you're talking about because that's the story of my life. Maybe some of you are saying, I grew up in the church, and that is exactly what I went through. I didn't experience grace in the church of all places, right? I experienced judgment. I experienced harshness. I experienced a lot of rule-keeping and made to feel like if I didn't keep up, I wasn't accepted. I wasn't loved. I wasn't cared about. crazy part, too, is that even once we've received this grace, even once we've had our, our eyes open to God's unconditional favor, we still need to be reminded regularly about God's grace and experience His peace. But let's back up for a moment. We need to talk about something. We need to talk a little more about grace. What is grace? I've kind of already said that way I want to describe it a couple of times, but the, the word Paul uses is the Greek word charis. I used to have a cat. We had a cat named Charis. She was not graceful at all. Remember, oh my goodness, that was a horrible name for that cat. She was like, vicious would have been the better name. I mean, wow, yeah, that's a bad name. Yeah, Holly knows. <laughs> a lot of, number of people have met that cat, and boy, she's not, yeah. Anyway, moving on. And so this, this, this Greek word, charis, we honestly could go on all day into the next year discussing the multifaceted nature of charis. But let me just offer the, the following working definition for the rest of this message. Charis, or grace, is unmerited favor. Unmerited acceptance. Grace from God is His favor. Bestowed. Given poured out, offered to every one of you, to every one of us, not because we deserve it, but because we're loved. It's not because you're faithful. It's not because I'm faithful. It's not because any of us are faithful. It's because He is faithful. So please excuse me for pointing out something that's super obvious with the following point, but unmerited favor is just that. It's unmerited. It absolutely cannot be earned. God's favor for you cannot be earned. The moment that we start to think we can earn God's favor, we're missing out on God's grace. Matter of fact, sometimes people will talk about God's grace, but then put a whole bunch of expectations alongside of it. And that becomes something totally other than grace. Grace is never earned. Grace is never, and this is a hard thing to swallow sometimes, but it's never deserved. Quite the opposite. God shows you favor. He shows us favor. He gives us grace. He walks with us. He speaks to us. He sends His Son for us. Despite ourselves. God shows you favor. He gives you grace. Not because you're pretty. No offense. <laughs> Not because you're smart. No offense. <laughs> Not because you're young or athletic or even because you're particularly good. But again, His favor is given because of His love for us. There's this wonderful word in Hebrew. I mention it time and time again. It's chesed. 
chesed. It's one of the Hebrew words translated love. But it's really talking about God's unquenchable covenant love that is just there for his people regardless of what they're up to. Regardless of how far they might be running from him. He loves you. He loves his people. He loves the things that his hands have made. And we are saved by grace. We are saved by unmerited favor. God saves us, not because of anything that we've done, not because of anything we do, but because He loves us. We are saved by God's unmerited favor received by faith, not by meritorious deeds. Let no one boast, let no one brag, let no one say anything about how great they are, but instead of how good God is. When we like learn this, when we learn it deeply, when we take it on, when we start to embrace this, we learn to live comfortably with God. In God's unmerited favor, there is nothing to prove, nothing to earn. We can know we are loved and find peace. Have you experienced that in your life, maybe just from another person before? I talked about last week this vision I have of Kat and I being old (laughs) and just huddled naked on a couch. (laughs) But my point is that it was all about unconditional love. It was about grace, the nakedness. (laughs) It was that I could be with her and we could be together. I could be somebody in my life where it didn't matter that I was ugly or old or wrinkly or chubby or really skinny or had no hair. (laughs) Sorry, Scott. (laughs) That's right. It's that picture of unconditional love. It's that picture of grace. It's that picture of unconditional favor where God chooses us, cleans us up, wipes us off, embraces us. When our eyes are open to that, we come to discover God as our good, good Father who's with us. So what about our good deeds? Because we are called to do them, right? We're called to do something in light of this faith that we have, in light of this unconditional love that says you don't have to do anything to be loved. I loved you before you even knew me. But what, what about the rest of our lives? Well, the Apostle Paul talked about it as fruit. It's like God gives us that unconditional love and acceptance. And in that relationship we have with him, he produces something in us. He produces love in us. Love that was just like that love that unconditionally showed us favor. And then he calls us to go and love with the same kind of unconditional love, grace, and acceptance that he's loved us with. So it produces fruit, and it gives us freedom. I was watching, uh, what's the name of that show? Um, Dan, you're the one that told me about it. Yeah, Shark Tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has anybody watched that? And they, they, had, they had these big bubbles, and they were playing bubble soccer. Right? Have you seen big? You get into this big bubble and you can run into each other really hard, but you fall down and you don't get hurt. Like honestly, that's like a kind of good image of God's grace. He like slides us into this little bubble tube, and 
He's just merciful with us. We can like totally blow it and fall down, but God's grace is still there for us to, to, to cradle us, to hold us as we try and figure out how to navigate this life God has called us to. So I could stop here, but I'm not going to. <laughs> there are some obstacles. There are some things that keep us and others from receiving and living in this grace, in this unconditional favor. And I want to mention two of them, things that are closely related. Pride and shame. Pride and shame are two things that big time get in the way of this unconditional favor that God has for us. The kind of pride I'm talking about is at its essence, self-centered self-reliance, if you will. Just relying entirely on yourself. In that world, there's no need for unmerited favor because in the eyes of a self-reliant person, they possess plenty of merit. They don't need any forgiveness. They don't need anything. They're doing just fine. In that world, self-centered, that self-reliant pride, it's a grace repellent. Oh, don't treat me gracefully. What are you saying? Who do you think I am? I'm good. Got this going on. I mean, I don't need grace here. I'm doing just fine, thank you. I mean, goodness sakes, look at me. Has anybody experienced that in their own life, maybe? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> you can, though, if you want. Taking notes. Who was that again? <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk later. Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. And for what it's worth, this self-reliance, this kind of pride, does not have to engulf your entire life to be a problem. Maybe it just creeps into some parts of your life. Let me ask you this. If someone were to ask you, while you were doing something you maybe thought you were really good at, hey, can I help you with that? Are there areas that you might be offended by such a question? <laughs> your help? I don't need your help. Seriously? I'm just fine here. What do you, who do you think I am? I know what I'm doing. I mean, goodness gracious, I've been at this forever. Who do you think you are? <laughs> I see some looks on faces. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if that's the case in one of those areas, you might be dealing with just a little bit of self-reliant pride. Maybe. Maybe. Pride is something that, again, can just creep into our lives, even as Christians. Maybe, maybe especially as Christians. Oh, yeah. God chose me. I have arrived. I am here. Look at golly. I am, man, I am so good. So good that I forgot how I got here. <laughs> we start to think of ourselves in some capacities, not as recipients of unmerited favor who produce fruit by God's grace, but as somehow all of a sudden worthy recipients of God's favor who somehow earned their favor and are somehow better than others who have not yet received God's unmerited favor. That doesn't even make any sense, does it? But one obvious result is we really begin to look down or even despise the undeserving sinners around us as if we got to where we are 
on some of our own meritorious deeds. In this way, pride is radically corrosive to community. It's radically corrosive in all all kinds of things, but particularly to community because pride is self-reliant. It must seek to justify not by unmerited favor received through faith, but by making comparisons to other people. Instead of admitting need and receiving grace, pride points some fingers and says, ha, 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 look at that loser. Golly, I'm glad I'm glad I'm not like that moron. This next little thing here I've heard in numerous different versions before, so I'm not trying to claim this as my, as my own. But justification like that might feel good for a moment looking at how bad other people are to feel good about yourself, how much they're not doing and how much you are instead, feeling good like that, can feel, it can feel good for a moment, right? Kind of like peeing your pants feels good for a moment. At first, <laughs> it, at first it makes you feel warm and fuzzy, <laughs> especially if you're out in the cold. But... <laughs> Exactly, right? <laughs> the problem is, is that soon you're left all alone with nothing but the cold, cold chill of stinky, wet pants. <laughs> because we know no one likes to be around somebody like that, right? Somebody that wants to feel good about themselves or has to feel good about themselves by making you feel bad about yourself? Boy, we can't be that as a church, that's for sure, because all of us are here on the same basis. God's unmerited favor. And in this world of pride, there is no peace because you're constantly finding somebody else that's more qualified, that's got more merit, that does something better, and you, can't just, you just can't keep up. Why do, we, why do we do that? I think it's just simply because we have not yet glimpsed as fully as we ought the unmerited favor and love God has for us and found the peace that God offers us. But believe it or not, there's actually something I think that goes on that's even deeper. Something more elusive that's happening. Sometimes, maybe even most times, this pride we just spoke about finds its origins not in some kind of haughty arrogance, but in insecurity. An insecurity that is created by a culture of shame that misappropriates where the worth of a person lies. Where does the worth of a person lie? I see this problem all over the place today. Our society is based on it. In this world, your worth is based on your performance. It is just a merit-based society, a merit-based worth. If you have value, if you have value in this world, is based on what you can produce, perform, or contribute. That's all of a sudden now that person is valuable. It's everywhere. I see it at schools. I see it at workplaces. I hear about it in workplaces. I hear about it in homes. Once you have performed this way goes to some unspecified level, and that's the other thing, is the target is constantly moving at what should be done and what is of worth and what is valuable and what will make you prestigious. Once you've done that, then in this world you become of worth. But until you've done that, oh man, maybe we'll talk to you. The more prestigious a person you are, defined in countless ways from being rich to being religious, the more worth you have. The farther you can throw a football, or the higher your IQ, 
or the more educated, or again, the prettier you are, whatever the trend is in any given time or season, the more money you make, or you just fill in the blank, the more value you have in this world, the more favor you receive. We most certainly live in a world that pushes merited favor, where you are only valued after you can contribute in some fashion. In this world, if you cannot produce, because there, quite honestly, are plenty of people for one reason or another that just can't measure up to the world's expectations. You can't have any merit. You can't be shown any favor. You receive no respect or honor. You just receive shame. In order then to not feel shame in this world, in order to have any self-worth in this upside-down system, And in order to feel loved and accepted, you seek to perform the best you can and then compare. You must make sure everyone knows that you're capable of whatever you're capable of, even if it means pointing it out yourself. This looks like pride. But it's actually a tragic insecurity due to misplaced worth. And there is no peace in that rat race. Has anybody experienced that in their life? And isn't it a beautiful thing? Don't you receive an amazing amount of peace when God Almighty Creator of heaven and earth just says, you know what? You have worth before you've done anything. You have value just because I made you. Just because you exist, you're valuable. There is nothing you can do to make you more valuable to God. There's nothing you can do. God loves you. He values you. He cherishes you. We have to stop and receive that grace, that unmerited favor. And from there, let God transform our lives. It changes the whole world around you. You all of a sudden start seeing people in whole different ways when you come to the point of just simply embracing God's unmerited favor. When you experience and embrace His grace, you then don't have to look down the street at somebody else that's worse than you and do any comparing. You can just simply say, you know what? That person has... Worth, because God made them, because He loves them. He wants to show them and help them to receive His unmerited favor. Mm. The world changes radically. For what it's worth, there's so many other facets of this I could talk about, and I just want to say this, because some of you might be sitting there thinking, wait a second, I grew up in a shame society, in a shame household, but it didn't manifest as pride at all, as manifest just manifested as more shame, 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 and I just felt like garbage my whole life. And sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes a person just says, I'm not even going to play that game, or I can't pretend. Sometimes sometimes that shame manifests in all kinds of different ways, but there's one way forward, and that's God's grace. His unmerited favor, His love for you. His ways so radically different. You know, Paul the Apostle says this crazy thing that in a world that's chasing after, chasing after trying to earn their way to being loved, people think it's nuts. I think this is nuts what Paul is saying. He talks in Romans about how God has handed us all, every single one of us, 
Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, you name it. He's handed us all over to sin. Boy, if we stopped there, that would sound really bad, right? He's handed us all over to sin. But you know why he's done that? That he might have grace on us all. Because he wants to have grace on us all. He wants us to receive the unmerited favor. He wants us to be able to look around this room and not see somebody that's better or less or greater or whatever. Just people that are all in the same boat, in the same situation. All in need of God's unmerited favor. It's good news. It's good news. You can just take a deep breath. It's good. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to prove to God who you are. He already knows who you are. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone to be loved. Your worth does not lie in what you can do or perform or make or how good you look or anything. God's love is deeper and wider and longer and more intense. His Hesed love is more powerful than any other force in the entire cosmos. God loves what His hands have made. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is simply grace. You see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? For if while we were still God's enemies... Enemies in our own minds, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son. So how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have received reconciliation. I just want to encourage you I just want to encourage you to really learn to live in this realm. It'll change your life. It'll change everything about how you understand your relationship with God. It changes everything in how you understand your relationships with others. God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. It's something that brings us peace. As a matter of fact, I would argue it's the only thing that brings us the peace that we really need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your intense love for us. Thank you that we don't have to compare ourselves to anybody. Thank you, Lord God, that you do call us to do good deeds, not as merit, but as the product of the grace that you've poured out into our lives. Father, I just pray that you would help us because we are broken people that need your grace so much and we need to be able to see the world around you the way that you see it. Help us, Lord God, to see this world through your eyes. Help us to always remember that we are born and made new by your grace, by your unmerited favor. 
Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you and praise you.